Welcome to All About Art. My name is Alexandra, and I'm an art historian, curator, and writer. Within this podcast, topics relating to art history, cultural policy, the art sector, as well as a large range of other art-related topics will be covered. Conducting critical discussions, having entertaining exchanges, or just enjoying some relaxing chats? All About Art is where you'll find it all. Join me in exploring and developing cultural discourse. Welcome to another episode of All About Art. This one is a bit of a podcast special because it's a crossover episode with Gary Mansfield, founder and host of the Ministry of Arts podcast. So after you listen to me interview Gary here on All About Art, head over to his podcast through the link in the show notes and tune in to hear him interview me. Gary has had quite the unconventional introduction to the art world. He came into contact with the arts during a 14-year prison sentence he was serving. Listen in to hear him tell me about what it was like to encounter the arts in that atmosphere and how it impacted him. Gary is a practicing artist himself, so we also talk about his methods of making and what moves him to create his work. We chat about inclusivity in the arts, what needs to change within the industry, and how his nearly 200 episodes of interviews with various artists and cultural practitioners have influenced his view on the sector. Thank you, Gary, for the collaboration. It was so much fun. And listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode as well as the one over on the Ministry of Arts podcast. Before I dive in, I wanted to let you lovely listeners know that All About Art is on Patreon. So if you want some behind-the-scenes content, maybe a bit of merch, the chance to get one-on-ones with me and my guests, or you're simply wanting to support this project, I would be absolutely thrilled if you decided to sign up. You can do so through the link in the show notes. I also wanted to say thank you to those who have already signed up. Your support means the world, and it makes the further production, improvement, and growth of the podcast possible. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. And now, on to the interview. Gary, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. You're welcome. I am going to start off with my first question about your background, because you've had quite the unconventional path that has led you into the arts. When did you start getting involved in the sector? I had no involvement in art as a child, as a teenager, or into my early 20s. I discovered art during a prison sentence that I was serving for drugs. It was a long prison sentence. Um, And I just went in the art class purely to leapfrog myself up the list to get into the computer class in the prison education department. Fell in love with art. We had a brilliant tutor. He was really fun, great to be around and made me want to be interested in art. And that was how I got involved. Okay. And you have a fabulous episode over on your podcast. It's the episode number 100, where listeners can hear your whole story because you used a very fun method to have yourself as both the interviewer and the interviewee. That must have been really difficult to edit. It was fun but torturous. (laughs) Yeah, 34 hours of editing. (laughs) 
<laughs> that just makes me shiver. <laughs> and um, But I don't want to repeat all too much through yeah. my questions yeah. here. And I will link that episode in the show notes okay. for listeners to have access to. But I do want listeners to hear a bit more about you now. So one question that I have is about your art okay. and how your time in prison has impacted your practice. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I should state I had a 14-year prison sentence for drugs, so I've done seven years, and discovered art round about 18 months into that. And when I discovered art, I just went 100% into it. So I just I was just absorbing right into artists outside. Fairly well-known artists then, now they're A-listers. Yeah, the YBAs. The YBAs. Yeah. Um, and I was just trying to sort of take everything in. And But at that time, I was having a big turnaround in myself because I'd been a criminal all my life and I wanted to be something else. How art come about is a bit, you know, is quite odd anyway because I don't know anyone else who was an artist. Um, so I was having quite a big change from myself, being turning into an honest person, which was quite strange, which involved me looking at myself, literally looking at myself in the mirror, stripping away all the points that I thought were bad and trying to replace them with good. And doing that on my own because everyone else around me was bad. It was quite a quite a weird thing. But to get back to your question, when I got released and started my degree, I was using art just about the to, to tell about the feelings that I was um, that I had inside at the time. So my art was a little bit selfish, um, and it's only been in recent years, in the last maybe five years, that. I've realised that the person that I was trying to talk about in my art wasn't just me. It was the homeless, other people in prison, um, social injustice. You know, it was all of these things. It's, yeah. it's all about social injustice is, is the main thing. Um, and just getting the marginalised voice heard. Mm-hmm. And there is one body of work in particular that I found that I'd like to speak about, and that is the Time series, okay. the ink on paper that deals with barbed wire mm. as subject matter. I'd love for you to tell me a bit more about that as well. After I finished my BA, I started an MA. Um, had to stop that because a family come along and I started work and worked for several years, pushed art out of my life, then come back into art. And I wanted to create large installations. That's where I always was, or large projects at least. And I knew I wouldn't be able to fund that while I was at work. So I figured on trying to create some drawings or paintings and then turn them into prints and that be a sort of bread and butter thing that would hopefully pay for me to be able to leave my job and then build these larger projects, which still hasn't become the case. I've left work, but, you know, that was as good as it got. But the time project that you're talking about, I wanted to somehow show time and the barbed wire drawings that you're talking about, they, they're in tandem with um, padlocks as well. I don't know if you've seen the padlocks and they were initially to show mental problems and challenges. The padlock was meant to show a problem that can be resolved. You've just got to sort of find the right key as it were. The barbed wire was meant to represent challenges that you possibly can't cross and avoid. And I called it the time series because I started drawing these large padlocks and barbed wires using crosshatch and then saw that they looked like the 
Do you know the, the prison tally mark? Yeah. Right, so it's four lines down and one diagonal to mark five, yeah. which is what prisoners may have scored on the wall. So when I was doing some cross-hatching, when I first started these drawings, I was like, oh, that looks like a tally mark. And then it was like, why don't I use tally mark? This, it was initially meant to show time. That shows five minutes, days, what have you. Yeah, it does. Um, and then so I, for the next month or so, I was trying to devise a way to make those um, work within a highly detailed drawing, which yeah. it, they, they do, they work. And I see them as a, as, as a little bit like myself. Because you look at them from a distance, they're big and bold, and you know they they they, they look fine. Yeah. When you get closer and realise that they're tally marks, it's a, a little sort of a a wow factor, if you like. And then you see that I've been to prison, and you make those um, associations, and yeah, it starts to tell a story. Hopefully, absolutely. And another way in which time is embodied within that is the time that it took you to make each line. I mean, with cross hatching in general, but with that specific medium or means of production, I guess. It's something that's very meticulous and time consuming. And it literally shows every moment that it took to make it. Yeah. Which was the idea. I wanted to show the monotony of my time away. Yeah. Or how long it takes, how much time we should give something nowadays rather than swiping left from a song after the first seven seconds yeah you know you should listen to or swiping songs. left on a podcast um, <laughs> yeah. just, just listen to listen to the whole thing download all the episodes but then that's how that's with my chip on the shoulder that's how i see myself yeah that people might not give me the benefit especially in this art world there isn't many people that are big cockney loud laughing and joke you know there, there isn't enough rather sadly um, yeah but then <laughs> But I'm fine with that because like like these drawings, if you bypass them, you could well be missing something that's rather interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And um, because we were just very briefly on the subject of podcasts, you run the Ministry of Arts podcast. I do. And so I wanted to ask you, because, you know, this is a very fun crossover that we're having here. How... Did you start the podcast? How did that come about? So when I was painting, drawing, creating art, I can't listen to music. Really? No, because I start getting in the mood of the music. <laughs> and the mood I'm in, it will dictate the music I might put on. And that's that will the energy from that music, no matter what it is, will relate into the work. So I would always listen to radio for a talk-based radio um, or storybooks. Then I discovered podcasts and I was like, oh, brilliant. So now I'm listening to conversations. And it just so happened that the one that I was concentrating on was a guy called Scroobius Pip, who's very well known in the podcast world. We've got mutual friends. And I was speaking to one of those about um, podcasting and how I wish that there was more podcasts, art podcasts out there that were conversation based because the ones that I had heard a little bit more academic they needed more listening to and you had to concentrate a little bit more yeah. so while yeah. I was concentrating on the podcast I'd realised that I'd spent the last 20 minutes listening to the podcast and not creating and my friend said well I'm well aware that you know hundreds of artists you love a rabbit or you know you love to talk <laughs> and just buy yourself some recording equipment and get going yeah then I Featured on my first podcast, which was an illustration podcast. Um, and I saw how he'd done it. And I was like, shit, is that it? 
I'll just yeah. do it. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not very tech savvy, so I spent the next couple of weeks looking at YouTube and Same. just brilliant. <laughs> so yeah, me and YouTube had a little love affair for yeah. a couple of months. Yeah. Then I, I had the equipment, and then just thought, sod it, let's go. Yeah. And you know, as as you've already discovered, I I, I love a chat with an artist anyway. <laughs> so I just sit down, press record, and go yeah. conversation. It's such a low barrier to entry, I guess, in the podcast world. And I mean, mm. we were talking about this earlier, but just, you know, to repeat again for, for listeners, it's, it is a lot of time and effort that goes into these. Yeah. But when you start them, I mean, yeah, you can buy equipment for, I mean, these microphones cost 70 quid each. So that's 140 quid. You sit down. I mean, I already had a laptop. GarageBand's free. When I started, I didn't even have microphones. I just had a recording device. Yeah. And I yeah. just press record. And that was it. Now that's that's nice too. It's such a funny thing sometimes because like my equipment, um, I always tell people this when I show up with my microphones because I actually carry my microphones around in a lunchbox. Nice. Because that was the one thing that had a bit of padding yeah. and I could fit everything in there, but it wasn't like a hard case. So I could bring it with me to different countries as well. Like it fits easily into a suitcase or in a backpack. Whereas like the hard microphone cases are... You know, those are quite big and bulky, but you just kind of have to strategically wing it with things sometimes, especially with podcasts. And it's just sitting down and yeah, not really knowing what you're doing. And then yeah. one time I was sitting down and I was trying to connect the two microphones to GarageBand to make sure that there was the correct input and I had forgotten how to do it. So I was sitting with my guest and pulled up YouTube like and was holding up beneath <laughs> the table watching YouTube on how to like do that. Yeah. And I was like, please don't let her see, please don't let her see. And um, she didn't see. I don't think, um, but yeah, it was just, it's, it's just, you know, getting into it and learning. Well, it, I was but... told before I started by someone who produced podcasts, always make a backup recording so for the first time i had my recording device is about the size of a tin of beans yeah um the, the first one i had and then i used my phone because most phones have very good recording devices and they have um front and back microphones yeah so you could sit it on um like a can, a of, pr a can of pringles, a can of pringles <laughs> that, that we just, have here at the table i just put my hand on <laughs> So you can put it on there and that is absolutely fine yeah. because my first episode, it turns out I didn't realise that memory cards have a certain class mm. and I just bought a memory card, put it in, pressed record and record on my phone and I recorded four podcasts in the first day and the first three recorded for 57 seconds. No. Yeah, but the thing is when I come away from the first one, I pressed play and heard... The first 10 seconds, I thought, yep, that's fine. Turned it off. Same with the second, same with the third. Got home, and for whatever reason, 37 seconds on every one because I had the wrong memory card in. But I took someone's advice, and I had it on my phone. Oh, my goodness. So that actually happened to me um, in an episode, a few episodes prior to when yours is going to be released. And um, we were sitting in a gallery where we were recording and my computer started to act up because of my memory. And so I've started to sort that out using external hard drives and Dropbox and all that. However, the recording kept stopping and then I kept starting again and it, and it seemed to work. But then when I went to go save it, half of my audio files were corrupted. Oh. And so maybe I shouldn't say this because it's kind of a secret. However, um, you edit so it can come out. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, her, all of her audio was still there, 
And so I re-recorded myself at home at 11 at night talking into the microphone as if I was in the room with her. Which is how I've done my 100th episode. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it sounds like it actually doesn't sound all that bad. But like I know that I was sitting in my room going, ah, ha, 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 that's so funny. (laughs) And I just, and I was completely alone, like almost having a mental breakdown. Um, But yeah, so sometimes it can be tough, but... Uh, maybe I will take that lesson and start doing a, a second recording. Well, as you mentioned the 100th podcast, and we just mentioned it there. Yeah, yeah. For the 100th episode, I had discovered by that point that although I don't ask other people to contact an artist for me, I've contacted pretty much all of them myself. I'm aware that if I was to ask someone to make a phone call, I can get possibly any artist in the country is only two phone calls away. You know, me ask someone who asks someone, you know. So I figured I could get anyone. So I put a thing out on social media, who should I have for the 100th episode? And it come back, me, was the biggest, and by far as well, you know. You know, we should hear your full story, because everyone hears little snippets of mine in a conversation. So speaking to my best buddy, Lee, I was going like, who can I get to do it then? And me mate Lee went, well, look, the beauty of your podcast is it's this sort of loud Cockney or Essex, you know, guy who who asks sort of strange questions every now and then, you know, not in not in the order they should be. And he said, why don't you interview you? And then it was just a stupid amount of cutting and pasting. But I got to tell you, some of the stuff, like when when you were kind of scolding the one Gary for stepping on the words of the other yeah, Gary, it yeah. was just, it was very, very fun. I really enjoyed listening to it. But you describe the podcast as possibly the world's most inclusive art podcast. Mm. Can you tell me more about that? What's your approach to the podcast and its guests? Well... As we we spoke just before pressing record yeah. <laughs> about um, how we both approach recording a podcast, my idea from the offset was I wanted I wanted it to sound like I have just sat next to my guest on the train. I've asked them what they do for a living. They say they're an artist. That's how our conversation starts, and the listener is sat in the seat behind. Most of our listeners presumably are artists. I'm hoping that they may be listening while they're in their studio and it sounds like they're listening to the two people in the studio next door. That's how loose I wanted mine to be. Yeah. So I literally, as I told you earlier, if I may not know much about the artist, that's absolutely fine. I'll do as little research as possible because I like to find out at the same pace as the listener. Yeah. I really enjoy that. However, I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that it's just so fun to think about the different methods and how it turns out because, you know, I also listen to other art podcasts and I wonder how they end up going around producing it. But I think that it depends on your angle. It depends on the questions you want to ask. And I think because you're mainly interviewing artists or cultural practitioners and you're talking to them like a conversation, it allows for the listeners to feel like they're a part of that conversation and it's very personable. And I think with All About Art in this case, a lot of my questions are the way that I kind of see it is, you know, what would the 20-year-old or 21-year-old Alex have needed when she was 
studying yeah. history of art, wanting to know what the hell is going on yeah. in the art world. And I think that that's kind of why I, I with artists, I, I research their practice, but very much also with cultural practitioners, it's also like my questions are based off of, well, what piece of advice would you give someone? Or, you know, and all of these are, are quite strategic in the sense of what would a young person in the arts wanting to possibly Definitely. enter into, like as a career, yeah. want to hear? I mean, I don't not listen to other podcasts that are more structured. The yeah. moment. There's not many out there that are less structured than mine. Let's, <laughs> let's be honest. Let's be honest. And I do try to have a conversation rather than an interview. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with an interview. I'm, I've not chose to go this way because I dislike anything else. Yeah. I've chose to go this way because this is the way that I like yeah, to talk to Yeah, it feels the artists. most natural for yeah. you. Yeah, and it comes so across that way. That's why I do as little research as possible because the yeah. amount of times I've sat with an artist or anyone, and especially since I've been doing a podcast, but I've walked away from a person that I may have spoke to on the bus or at a gallery in a bar in a queue waiting for a cup of coffee and I thought, fucking hell, I wish I had my recording <laughs> Because that was just a great, that could have been a great little conversation. If I would have yeah. said to them, you know, in the in the queue at the coffee shop, do you want to drink that in here? And we just have a chat. Yeah. And then press record. That's that's what that's what I like. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so that's the feel I try to get to a lot of them. And I'm to my detriment, the, the downside of it is when I'm editing or when I listen to it back, I go, Christ, why didn't I ask that question? <laughs> because if I would have done research, yeah. I would have asked that question. Ah, interesting. But I didn't, so it doesn't yeah. matter. That's yeah. When you get off the bus or train, like I was talking about, when you get off and say goodbye to that person you've just met, that's exactly what you do. Oh, I should have asked them this. I should have yeah. asked them that. You didn't. The conversation yeah. was still good. But the conversation was still very rich and yeah. very, very rewarding. And uh. that's that's where the start of that is. So I like to think that the old me from the council estate in Essex, East London, who had no interest in art, they're the people I hope... Well, they're, they're the people that could sit down and listen to yeah. it because it's accessible to people like that. It's inclusive for everyone, I, I feel... Because I, I've got an interest and work with, or have worked with rather, the homeless, marginalised, prisoners, people on release, people with mental health issues. So they all creep into my podcast. I try to creep those people that I adore, being people like those marginalised groups. I'll throw one in every now and then, not or to benefit them as well, to give them a bit of exposure, but more so just to try and break down any barriers that might be out there anyway. Yeah. Because I figure if people buy into me being this loud mockney, <laughs> someone who isn't quite a Londoner, um, this loud cockney accent, you know, that is, that is a bit different in the, in the art world. If they buy into me, there's, they have to buy into them as well because they're a part of me. Yeah. So they can't sort of accept me without accepting anyone else with a criminal record. Yeah. Or mental health issues or whatever it might be. Yeah. So that's that's the little sort of standard I try to wave. Yeah. I think that that's a really important point to make as well. And it's something that um, I've researched a bit about when it comes to general representation and understanding. And I think that uh, if you don't have someone who has lived similar experiences to you 
then what they produce, what they say, how they say it, how they communicate, it's very, very likely that that is not going to resonate with you. And mm. so that's why it's very important when we talk about representation in general, when we talk about it in politics, in leadership positions, in galleries and museums and all of that, someone who has grown up in a certain way with certain challenges is going to choose to show different things in comparison to someone who has grown up in, for example, if someone's a very, you know, upper middle class white family or something mm -hmm. like comes from that, then they're not going to think about some of the things that someone who has come from a more difficult background with more challenges or hurdles that they've had to overcome in their life. They're not going to show the same things. They're not going to be thinking about the same program. Mm. And I think that that's the same thing when it comes to conversations, how you speak, who you're speaking to and what you're speaking about. And I think that it's so incredibly important that something like this exists. Yeah. Like it is, I cannot stress it enough because that is exactly what so many of us are trying to do in the arts is to reach people and make them see that, you know, Hey, there is a lot of exclusivity in the arts. We don't like it. We're here with our arms wide open being like, let's go and go to the show yeah. or let's talk about this or that. And let's see how art, because at least for me personally and for you as well, from your story with interacting with art while you were uh, in prison, art has caused such a growth in my own personal empathy, yeah. in my education about myself, my self-awareness other people like about different different cultures as well and so i have just i have completely grown as a person through my interaction yeah. with art i'm so lucky that that can be my career but i would love to get more people into interacting with that because it could really just grow human well the beings. thing is with me i discovered as i said i discovered it in prison working class criminal thug i was violent i was a very different person to the one that is sitting here now i discovered art and I literally discovered me. Yeah. I really did. And I turned from being this violent person. I, I, if, if you think of just a, a, you know, an active criminal from East London, Essex, you know, you think of, of, of an active criminal, that was me. Whatever, whatever your imagination might pull up. You think of an artist, someone involved in the arts, that's me now. That is some journey in between the two to try and change from one to the other. And I know that it was the inclusion of art and having to look at myself and conceptual art because I discovered, when I discovered how to look at me, it was the same time I was trying to discover how to look at conceptual art because they both happened at the same time, pretty much overnight. And once I discovered how to look at conceptual art, that's how I started looking at myself. I go, oh, all I've got to do is not look at what's in front of me in the mirror I've got to sort of keep that reflection there, but just step to one side and have a, just a little, don't look at the eyes that I'm looking at it from because I don't understand me. If I look at myself as a stranger, then I can go, right, I like that about you, but I don't like that, that and that. When I look at conceptual art, I didn't understand it first of all. Then I read something that made me look at it from a slightly different angle. And then I was like, Fucking hell, yeah, I'll get that. That's <laughs> fucking... And it's the same thing that I didn't like yesterday. Yeah. And then I sort of... While I'm sitting in my cell and having time to reflect on me and this new art that I just discovered, then I'm going, right, I can look at me at this different angle. Maybe I can get to like myself. Because where I said I was looking at myself in the mirror and seeing all the bad stuff, yeah. I was seeing so much fucking bad, I couldn't see any good. And then when I started seeing that little speck of good in the distance... 
I like grabbed hold of that light and I was like, yeah, there's something, there is a bit of worth to me here, you know? And then bang, it was that. And that's why I owe so much to art. And I refer to myself as a born again artist yeah. because it happened literally overnight. I went into my cell slagging off conceptual art going, look at this shit. <laughs> Someone's cut a cow in half, you know. There's a bloke in D-wing in for similar. That's, you know, that's... why. How is this art? Yeah. People are paying for that. Next morning, I come out of myself going, this is fucking amazing. This is what I want to be. You know, any, anything at all. This conceptual art, I understood it. I, well, no, I didn't understand it. I understood how to look at it. Yeah. And it was just meaning so much because these artists were saying so much with so little... You have now nearly done 200 I have, episodes. Yes. What was your favorite out of all of them? If you can answer this. Right, putting number 100 across because that was, you've, you've listened to it, that had ups. There was very high ups and very low downs. But my favorite episodes for all different things, one was Maggie Hambling. Maggie Hambling is well known as being a strong character who does not take falls gladly. She will literally tell TV presenters to fuck off ah, on yes. telly. She does not. She's like, do you know Marion Margoles? No. She's a, a, a British actor who likewise, she doesn't care what she says. Maggie Hambling is like that. I um, love it. She's strong. She's powerful. She's extremely intimidating. And... I saw her at an art event and thought, oh my God, there's Maggie Hambling. I love Maggie Hambling. I don't want to talk to her in case she hits me. <laughs> but I went up to her. I introduced, and this was at an art event for a charity that I'm a trustee of. So I went up to her and I thought that'd give me the sort of little in to go and speak to her. And I went, hi, Maggie. Um, my name's Gary Mansfield. I'm a trustee of Kersler. She went, have you come to show me where to go? I went, no, I just saw you across the car park. She went, well, why are you talking to me then? And I just thought, oh, brilliant. I've just been just been verbally abused by Maggie Hamling. If it goes no further than that, that's made my day, you know. But I was persistent and I knew that she was friends with people that I know. So I threw a few of their names in. And because I was persistent, um, I asked her a few times. I mentioned about my podcast. When I had made common ground with her about this mutual, or say mutual friend, her friend and someone that I know and have been associated with. Um, that seemed to tone her down a bit. When I mentioned, I threw in about me being in prison and I was well aware that Maggie Hambling loves a scallywag. So then she then she turned to me and I thought, right, I'll, that's it. The, the um, owner of this place was trying to pull her away to introduce her to someone. And I said, Maggie, I've got an art podcast. Will you come on it? And she just looked at me and then she went, here's my number. And give me her phone number and said, like, you know, let's sort something out. And I still wasn't sure um, pre-recording because she just gives short, dark answers. And then there was a, just a little glint of something. And I thought, ah, this isn't, this is a front here. I'm sure, you know, when you're in prison... And you're around personalities all the time. You tend to sort of see what's transparent in their personality or what's opaque, you know. And uh, I thought, oh, there's a little something there. I don't think she's as mean as, you know, as, as she makes out. It could be to my detriment, but 
we started recording and even at the end I said um, I told her about what some people had said and she said well what do you think of me now I said well I still don't know now whether you love me or hate me and then she just put her arm around me, pulled me into her, and she went, oh, I fucking love you. Oh. And then I was like, yes, I've done it, I've done it. And then more recently, that was episode 51. Okay. So it was a long time ago. Um, and I've, I've, you know, I've interviewed many, many different people in between. But recently, there's another artist, um, episode 174, was a guy called Dion Kitson. He worked under Gavin Turk for a while, and... That they could be mistaken for being, or they could sit very well in the same gallery. And Dion is from a working class background, and we just sat down and talked. And I, I'd wanted to speak to him for a while, and it was just, just the way he speaks, the way he cares about people, it just really touched me, you know. And yeah, I, I can't put my finger on what it was, but for me, whether it was for anyone else, for me, that was one of my favourites. Amazing. Well, I'll make sure to link those in the show notes and Good. also listen to them. I'm very, very excited. I love that. I love how you're nearly at 200 as well. I think that that's for someone who, I mean, I'm at currently at 40 or 41. Yeah. And so just thinking about how that can grow and how, how much it can become, I think it's just amazing. But then yours are every fortnight. Yeah. Mine were every week. Yeah. Um, if I include, I do bonus episodes as well, which are shorter ones, which might be for a charity or a, 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 to publicise an event or what have you. If I include those, it's about 230 or something. No, 220 or something mm, like that. Yeah. Wow. So, do you have any idea what you're going to do for your 200th? Are you allowed to say anything about that? Well, or? I've, I've just last night asked someone, as I say, I don't ask someone to ask someone. But I figured for my um, 200th, I will ask someone to ask someone. So I did yesterday. Okay. Are you... Uh, no, I'm not telling you, <laughs> madam. <laughs> I had to try. I had to try. Well, if it doesn't come off, I can just make an excuse. You know, no one knows I have asked them. <laughs> Fine. Okay. Oh, man. And I have a penultimate question. And this okay. is something that, you know, we were talking about a bit earlier, maybe when it has to do with accessibility, I don't know. But what is something that you think needs to change within the art world? Accessibility, really? Yeah. Inclusion. Um, I know it's getting, it's more and more easy. The, the thing that gets me, when I, when I speak to people, I do a lot of art talks to people who aren't part of the art world. That, as I mentioned earlier, it changed my life immensely. Mm -hmm. And just a little bit of it, if someone accepts art into their life, if it's changed this much for me, it's just got to bring a little bit of sunshine into everyone's life. And a lot of people at the moment haven't got much sunshine in their life. And by just Googling artwork and, or listening to us speak to artists, if that can just bring a little bit of sunshine in someone's life, bang, job done. Yeah. And that's what I want at the moment. And I, I say to these people, look, so many artists and art establishments use lottery funding. Mm, yeah. Sort of like 90% of lottery funding or lottery money comes from us. You know, the, the working class are the ones that are trying to buy their little bit of sunshine on a ticket every Saturday. Yeah. We're paying for most of the artists and art establishments via the lottery funding. So go and bloody get hold of it. Yeah, you know? go and enjoy it. And 
and as I say, it's using myself, putting myself out there. If people can't, I put myself in such a position that people can't deny me. Um, and like I said earlier, if I make them not deny me, that means they can't deny the person behind me or next to me, you know. So, yeah, inclusion. And as I said, that's why when I create artwork, I like to, I, with my podcast and my artwork, I always have Hogarth in the back of my mind because you can have someone who's uninterested in the art world from a council estate or you can have the highest academic. They can both look at that artwork and that, for me, I think that Hogarth sort of um, pulls all of those apart. Everyone from the top to the, no, not top to the bottom, from the left to the right can look at a Hogarth and that's what I hope that I try to, I'm not saying I'm like Hogarth by any means, <laughs> but I like that attitude that someone who is um, well embedded in the art world and someone who's not even a part of it can look at mine with knowing a little bit about me, can yeah. look at mine and... And have it resonate go, with yeah, them. And that's what I like. Absolutely. That's what I like. Well, I only have one final question to ask to wrap up the episode. Okay. Uh, and it's a bit of a fun one. I like to ask all of my guests this that come on. If you could pick one artist from art history or contemporary art, it's fine, to have dinner with, who would it be and why? I'm having three because I couldn't, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't decide. I couldn't decide who. The, the so, more I ask this question, the more people wiggle around and say, can I say two? Can I yeah, say three? Right. Well, I was going to be polite, but I just thought I'd <laughs> invite three with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the more the merrier. Hogarth, like yeah. I just mentioned yeah. Francis Bacon. Yeah. And the last one is one of your favourites I'm aware of, Caravaggio. Oh, yeah. They've all got... <laughs> I, I think that all three of those artists, albeit from separate times in history, I think they could all sort of sit down and either have a great conversation or a big fight. I was going to say that. <laughs> I was going to say it might not end well. No, but... What a bloody interesting conversation that would be. I might be the barman and be away from the table. Exactly. And just coming exactly. over with gin and, for all of them or wine. And try to duck if glasses yeah. fly. But that's, that's, I couldn't decide for them three. Oh, probably that's... probably Francis Bacon out of Out of those out of three. Of them because he was one of the first artists I fell in love with, oh. you know. Yeah, so. yeah. That is, that's probably who it would be. Amazing. Well, that concludes all of my questions and thus also the interview. So, Gary, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're more than welcome. And that is it for today on All About Art. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a rating or a review as it helps more people discover the show. Also, feel free to share with your friends or if you share on social media, tag me and get in touch. Thank you so much for listening.